This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye, no chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit Brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off, no minimum purchase, on your first order by typing in lowercase FA2024 at checkout. Cheers! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings, and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Don Shump. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rich. Don, we're going to have a sweet discussion today because we're going to talk Philadelphia Bee Company and this amazing honey, which I can't wait to taste because I haven't tried it yet. Don, how did Philadelphia Bee Company get started? Uh, so I started beekeeping back in 2007. I like to quip to people that I had a quarter-life crisis. Um, I was a web developer in a former life. And so I had taken up beekeeping just as a hobby and, and fell in love with it. And so uh, I volunteered at a community garden for a year and then bought a couple of my hives of my own. And then two turned into 10 and 10 turned into 20. And the next thing you know, I've, I've you know, I left the uh, web industry and started my own beekeeping business. You're in Philadelphia. And the first thing that comes to mind to me is, as a beekeeper, I, I, I picture fields and flowers and fauna and all of that. How is how is beekeeping done in the Philadelphia area? So urban beekeeping is actually a thing that's been around for a while. I think uh, Paris has one of the oldest beekeeping schools in the world. And so um, even in Philly, we have photos of beekeepers on rooftops you know, back in like um, the early 20th century. And so... Uh, for us, it's predominantly roofs that we use. Um, we do have some other um, ground-level spaces that we can put yards in, like, uh, you know, I have an abandoned cemetery in Southwest, um, you know, uh, Fox Chase Farm up in the Northeast. And so there's other spots where we go. But in terms of the, you know, in the city, it's kind of interesting because we, in a, a lot of cases, we actually get more complex honey from the city because the bees are collecting mostly from, you know, abandoned lots in Philly, we have some somewhere in around like 40,000. And so nobody does anything with those. And so they're just covered in weeds and the bees can collect that. And depending on what time of year and what part of the city, you can get different honeys. So for you, as you become experienced, if I blind taste tested you and tasted and, and gave you your honey to taste, 
Could you tell me where that honey re- originated from? It would it would have to depend on like the time of year. I think would be easier than the location, um, just because literally every frame we pull is different within a hive, and so year to year there can be significant differences. And so, like, you know, my West Philly spring um, might be like a water white. You know, I had an old city fall honey from 2016 that was, you know, the, the color of my shirt. It was black as pitch. And so, you know, the, in, in, in terms of, you know, like seasonal, there's a lot more variation within a year, though, like any yard could, you know, um, could be different. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits, your dog will go wild. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. We've talked to Brian Warner of the World Honey Exchange. Got a great education about honeys internationally and also about beekeeping. And I'm curious for you, how do you manage your hives? Because... You know, you've got the whole thing with keeping the queen and the hive healthy. And, you know, like you said, they're up on rooftops. How how do you manage those hives? Um, it, it takes a lot more time than it normally would. Uh, you know, for a sideline beekeeper and sideliners, anybody who has, you know, generally speaking, 500 or less colonies, like you can put, you know, a couple hundred colonies in the single field and manage that on like, you know, the weekends and still work a full time job. For me, you know, we're running on the high end, say 150, you know, plus colonies. It takes me seven hours just to drive to all my yards and wave at them, not even look at a single bee. <laughs> wave, wave. And, hello, bees. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, girls? Um, and so, you know, that's the, I, I'd say that's the, that's the hardest part. I mean, in some cases, it's actually difficult to get on the roofs. Like we had a, um, an apiary in South Philadelphia where I literally had to climb through a window in the back on the upstairs just to get onto the roof and then up another ladder to get to the roof proper. And so you get some of that finagling, um, which is a lot more challenging than just driving up to a field and hopping out of your truck. I checked out your website. I've seen your social media. One of the things I love that stands out first and foremost is, look, you're you're doing this face, this beard and almost a cape full of bees. And I have to ask you, do you do that often? Is that something like you break out for parlor tricks and you say, hey, I'm at a party and Don, Don, do the bee thing, do the bee thing. <laughs> so it, it depends on the time of year. Like, you know, so what, what we're talking about is bee bearding. And w- with that, um, typically we, the way we would do that for um, I do that for honey festival. Um, the Philadelphia Honey Festival is usually the weekend after Labor Day every year. And so um, it's a two to three day event. And I will do a bee beard each one of those days. Um, the bee beard itself takes, you know, like a, um, a couple days of prep. If you're just, if you're just setting it up, um, you know, from an existing colony and what, you know, what we're doing is we're making a swarm. And so swarms are how bees normally split their colonies in two and make new hives. And so when they run out of space, the old queen will leave with half the colony and go look for a new place to live. And the original colony will make new queens. Um, when they're swarming like that, that's when the most docile will find them. And so if I find a swarm, like, you know, in the springtime, we get tons of swarm calls. And so I could literally take a swarm of bees, put, find their queen, put her in a cage. And yes, I could absolutely just slap them on my face for kicks and grins. Um, we don't normally do that because, you know, I'm trying to get them into a hive. 
But um, yeah, that's that's a, at least once a year I'm putting bees on my face. Now, you mentioned something about calls because you also do bee and wasp removal from buildings, houses, outside, wherever they can become potentially a nuisance or a problem. You go out and you take care of that. Yeah. Anything that flies and stings is in our wheelhouse. And so um, we do it all. Uh, we don't use any chemicals. Um, in the case of wasps, it's usually an extermination. Um, so if you have, you know, if you're talking about like bald-faced hornets and say like yellow jackets, those can't be relocated. Um, but we're one of the only companies in the Philadelphia area that does honeybee removal. And so if you get honeybees in your house, you can't have them exterminated, not because it's illegal, but because it's a liability. Like the honeybee colonies are just so much larger than the yellow jackets. If you down them, it's going to smell, it's going to smell terrible. And, you know, and it's just going to, and then, you know, you're going to have honey and, you know, liquid rot going through wall it's just it's a bad scene and so we do the removals and we actually use the honeybee colonies in our um you know beekeeping operation and so those hives that i'm taking out of people's walls end up in you know one of our apiaries and that's how we're you know that's where we're getting our honey from i love that you recycle and repurpose those honeys that you're extracting from people's houses and buildings right yeah no and and that's when we're like so most of the honeys we actually pull out of the buildings like i keep that for myself um, you know, we don't we don't really market that out to the um, to the public and, be, and because I have, you know, I don't have full control over it. Um, and so, you know, just for I think it's perfectly safety. A lot of times I'll skip lunch and I'll just eat literally what I'm pulling out of the wall. Like my doctor doesn't love it. He's like, this is a one way ticket to diabetes. You may want to reel this in. But um, first of all, honey has so many healthy properties. It's not just the sugar content. It's like you're you're harvesting all these nutrients that the bees produce to make honey, right? Off of flowers. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we interviewed um, and, and, and are big fans of Bar Hill Gin. And they're in Vermont, big proponents of apiaries and the health and flourishing bee colonies and all that stuff. But it's two ingredients. It's juniper and it's honey. And because of all the botanicals, all those flowers that the bees are collecting from, they bring together like what you're doing with your honey. I mean, you could say, hey, it's it's on top of the um, this building in Old City. So it's Old City honey or it's on top of the library. So it's library honey. It's it's properties and characteristics. So tell tell the doctor, hey, listen, this is good for me. And, uh, you know, I could do worse. Right. <laughs> oh, no, 100 percent. And, you know, he, he, on, honestly, if it, the, the good news is, is that, you know, the, the, the beekeeping season is, is relatively short in terms of our removals. So we're not genuinely worried about it. But, um, no, it, it does make it, you know, I, I love doing it. Like it's 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 really fun tasting how how different the honeys are from, you know, um, you know, house to house and hive to hive. And, you know, the, the variation in there is just it's amazing. What really uh, checked in for me about your website is, look, sometimes you never know what you have in your house. You never know what you have flying around your gardens. And you have a great pictorial identifying wasps and bees because bees or yellow jackets, how do you tell the difference? What kind of wasp is it if it's a wasp? And look, I, I would say, look, if you are not sure what you may have flying around your house, go to your website and make sure that or know what it is before either spraying something crazy or trying to, you know, reach out to maybe an exterminator. Look, they may not know what they have on hand. And a resource like you is amazing to have 
all that information is just there. So thanks for putting the time to take all those pictures and put those up. Yeah, no worries at all. I, you know, I'm one of the fortunate few who really likes what he does. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into the bees and wasps and, you know, it's, it's one where it's like, you know, most of what we deal with around here, they get kind of a bad rep, um, predominantly because of, you know, just the yellow jackets alone. But I mean, we have 150 species of bee in Philadelphia. Forget like that doesn't even include the wasps. And so the majority of those are solitary and, you know, they, they won't or can't sting anybody. So, you know, it's, it's one, they're really, they're just awesome bugs. Like they're, they're really neat. We hear a lot in the news and on social media about the bee population and extinction and threats. You're on the ground all the time. We're heading into 2024 from 2023. How How is the health of the bee population specifically to where you work in? It, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, our losses seem to be, you know, right around as bad as they've ever been. Um, and, you know, annually you're talking about nationwide loss of between 30 and 40 percent. So if you have 10 hives, you're losing three to four. Or, um, and it's not just over the winter. So it used to be years ago, you'd, you know, you'd get your bees through the summer, everything going to be OK. And then winter time was when you you know take your losses. Now it's like we're losing almost as many hives over the summer months as we are during the winter. Um, so try, predominantly from um, a parasitic mite. Uh, that we picked up uh, from a from another honeybee species in um, we think in Russia, um, but over in you know out in Asia, um, and so it's just been it's been real hard um, on that front. You know, writ large, you know, and it's not just the honeybees, but you know, the a lot of our native bees, you know, like the bumblebees, we're we're down to one species that's really dominating all others, and so um, in many cases we don't even know you know, how the other bee species are doing um, because nobody's really checking. There's money in honeybees. And so that's why we, you know, we, there's been a lot of research. We kind of know what's going on with the other ones. We don't, we don't, we don't even have a real gauge on it. It's trying to hit a moving target. As fans of honey and what honey produces and the things that we get to enjoy, what can we do as just everyday people to help the bee population? Any ideas, tips, tricks, to keep what you do going? Plant more flowering plants, less lawn and fewer pesticides. Um, you know, the, the, the less chemicals you can, you can kind of throw out there, the better. Um, you know, I understand there are situations where you got to do, you know, you need something fixed, but for the most part, um, particularly, particularly prophylactic sprays. Um, there's, you know, there's been a movement on the, um, uh, on the, uh, extermination front where they want you know they want you to sign up for regular treatments where they spray your house don't do that like you know and if you have um if you have a lawn i would say try and convert 30 percent of it to flowers you know anything and if you see something that the bees like plant more of that you know engage with it like don't just you know if you go outside and you start looking at flowers you will start noticing bees that you've, you've probably never seen before and so, you know, like if you see something they like, I mean, some of it's easy. Bees love clover. Pretty much all bees like clover. So just um, that would be that would be plant more flowers. You don't have to. I'd be happy to have everybody take up the smoker and veil and, you know, join us in the, in the beekeeping. But it's not a necessity. Like we don't need more beekeepers. We need more forage for the bees. 
Yeah, I mean, to your point, what I understand is it's not just bees, but it's all pollinators. And if we lose those or that that could really impact our farming communities, our you know orchards and all those things that we rely on for you know our food, our sustenance. So there's a lot that we can do. And I appreciate you interjecting that and educating us and be more mindful about what you're putting down on the grass and spraying in the air because you never know beyond making maybe having a beautiful lawn. You just don't know how that's going to affect, you know, the natural uh, insects and habitat of what's going on. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it's one where it's like, you know, a green, a green grass lawn is a desert for bees. Like there's nothing there for them. And so in terms of, you know, the biodiversity, like even if you, if you have some clover in your lawn, just let it, let it flower once, let the bees hit it and then you can mow it down. You don't have to, do, you don't have to grow, you know, hay fields in your front. Like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, a meadow, um, but let, let, let the bees have a crack at it. Pardon the interruption. Thank you so much for listening to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Could you do us a favor? Hit that follow button. It makes it easier for others to find us, and it helps us climb in the rankings. Take a screenshot of the podcast, post it, tag us, and let everyone know that you listen to the Fermented Adventure podcast. Now, back to our podcast. We met at the Philadelphia Christmas Market, and you have this really unique honey that caught my eye. And there's a real amazing story behind this. And this honey, I just, I was so taken aback by just the story behind here. And we've teased it a little bit, but doom bloom, doom bloom. This is a honey that you make that is unlike anything anybody's doing right now. And you told us, and I was like, I did a double take. I'm like, no, you're making that up, right? Yeah. It's not possible. This is honey. And it incorporates, and I'm going to screw this up, so I'm going to let you tell the story. Uh-huh. Doom Bloom. What is Doom Bloom? So Doom Bloom is spotted lanternfly honeydew. And so honeydews are honeys that are, are produced from a non-floral nectar source. And they're common in Australia and Europe, but usually with aphids. And so um, in this case, uh, back in 2020, I walked into my honey house and I looked at my guys who were processing a hive we had just removed. And I said, who's eating maple bacon? Cause that's what the smell kind of reminded me of. Um, and they said, Don, it's not us. It's the honey. And I was like, come off it. And so I, I, I gave it a taste and I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, and so I, you know, I, it had a mild smoke profile to it and you know, nothing botanically does that. And so, you know, the, I called up the state inspector and he's, you know, he cut me right off and he said, you know, let me guess you got weird honey. And I was like, yeah. And he said, you and every other beekeeper in southeastern Pennsylvania. He said, we're sending samples to the lab at Penn State. We'll figure it out. And so sure enough, you know, the Penn State called everybody back and said that they had run some tests and had tested positive for lanternfly DNA and the lanthode. And the lanthode is a chemical in the tree of heaven, but only in the sap. And so here the lanternfly are attacking the trees. And they're after the amino acids in the sap, but they can't do anything with the sugar. And so that is the honeydew that they drop on the lower canopy that's so destructive. So when we talk about lanternflies, and uh, you know, you'll you'll see the kind of like us. Um, we talk about the the black 
like smutty mold or mildew that's you know on the ground beneath the trees where they're at well that is there because what the honeydew is just sugar water and so if you leave sugar water out it will it, it will go bad but the bees are collecting that before that happens and they're bringing it back to hives like any other nectar source and making it into honey so this is spotted lanternfly excrement in Correct. a way that the bees are attracted to because of the sugar content and they take this back and they make all right first of all you had said i hadn't had this yet i wanted to wait it does have that hint of smokiness on the nose and there's that back end as you described it this maple bacon um this this it's actually there's actually a wonderful graininess to this in in the palate and it's it lingers i only took a little bit but there's a there's this wonderful difference that I don't think I've ever had in a honey before that makes this so unique. This is amazing. And I'm just concerned now that we had this threat that the spinner lanternfly wasn't going to go away. And now it seems like they come and then they migrate. So how is it for you right now to make sure that you can keep this doom bloom going and uh, or, you know, just make sure it's on the shelves or you have it available? So it's getting harder and harder year to year. Um, like last year, there was there was significantly less from the um, beekeepers that we we had been sourcing it from. And so two years ago, you know, I, I I could have bought you know barrels of it, and last year I I could only get a couple. Um, and so what what's likely to happen the with the way the expansion's been going is that we're seeing you know the front lines of of the lanternfly expansion are real bad in terms of the number of the insects. And so that means in those areas, they're going to get a lot of honeydew. Um, on the tail end of that, there's not as much. And so what we'll probably do next year is go further out with the expansion. But at some point, one of two things is going to happen. Like, you know, we can go to Pittsburgh next year, but, you know, I don't know if it's realistic for me to go to, say, Ohio and get honey shipped. You know, like the... Um, so we're kind of hoping that the lanternflies stay not, you know, like we don't want them to stress our vineyards. We don't, I don't want to be benefiting from other people's suffering. And so, you know, it's, it, we're, we're certainly not promoting the, you know, keeping the lanternfly going. However, if they're around, if we can get just enough to keep the honey going, but not so many that they, they hurt other industries, that's kind of the sweet spot that we're hoping for. You also make, besides Doom Bloom, uh, I, I'm not going to say, I said, you also make, your bees also make uh, different, you, you have different varietals. Talk about some of those that you provide and, and, and that you're, you know, putting into, putting into jars. So we do, um, we do seasonal and regional varietals within Philadelphia. And so each one of our yards, you know, will harvest, um, you know, at least once a year and then sometimes twice a year. And we'll label the jars with, you know, um, what time of year we harvest. Um, and then we actually put the zip codes or the foraging grounds, you know, on the on the label. Bees fly anywhere up to three miles. And so, but usually it's with the, about a mile and a half from the hive to do their foraging. And so any zip code within a mile and a half radius of our hives goes on the jar. So if you want honey from your backyard, you can literally get it. And then we'll label down to the, we'll go hyper-local. We'll put the nearest cross street to the apiary on there. And so every yard will get, you know, we'll pull different honey. And we get, I mean, the, the variation, I talked about it earlier a little bit, you know, it, it can be pretty crazy. I mean, we've gotten 
Um, I know in our Kensington yard, we, we've gotten purple honey before. Um, and so you know, never enough for us to harvest exclusively, unfortunately. And if we did, I, I wouldn't give it to anyone. That, that really dark stuff I had in Old City, like I hoarded that. You know, we only got really like 12 pounds of the real pure like black stuff, but I would do tastings with it. And then, you know, like we, we did one at the Wilma Theater and, you know, the people were like, oh, my God, this honey is amazing. Like, where can I get it? And I was like, you can't. You know, this it's is craft this is honey. It. It's I mean, that's that's part of what we do. And we talk to people in, in the craft industry and this is craft honey. This is unlike anything. You're that woodworker taking that piece of wood and shaping it, and molding it. And it comes out to be this beautiful bowl or whatever you're making. That's what you're doing with this honey. And when you talk about just different neighborhoods and different sections of the Philadelphia area, and that's what you do, you're taking the flavor and if people want to know what 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 people want to know what Kensington tastes like, all right, it comes in honey because that's what's being um, pulled out from those bees to bring back to the hive. That's that I just came up with that. You can use that if you've never used that. <laughs> no, I, I, I will absolutely steal that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's one of those where it's like you like people are really surprised that like you know people are surprised you can even get honey in the city at all. Like I have other beekeepers that are just like shocked. And I'm just like, listen, the food's there. So we actually have a couple observation hives that we run. Um, I, I run one of the Academy of Natural Sciences and then the Richmond Branch Library. Um, and, you know, we had a postdoc from Penn State actually record the waggle dances of the bees. And so if you're unfamiliar, the waggle dance is how the bees communicate to one another where the hives are. And so they, they waggle on an angle. And whatever angle they waggle at tells direction. And however long they waggle for tells distance and so you can record that and actually do the calculations and figure out where the bees are going and so our bees at the academy of natural sciences they like the banks of the schuylkill river and the ones over at um the richmond branch library they like graffiti pier and so you know it's it's people when people ask it's like well how do you know it it's like we can we can actually get down to that level we could do heat maps if we wanted of where we're where we're hit this conversation with me, I'm, you're giving me such an education. And I know that's also one of the things that you do. You mentioned it at Wilma, that you do educations and tastings. And if somebody wants to have you come out and educate them on honey and bees, that's something you, you'll readily do as well, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, any, any excuse to talk bees is a good one. Um, and so, you know, but I do everything from like preschool up to, you know, college um, you know, I was out at University of Michigan uh, a couple years ago for um, a symposium. Um, you know, we do a lot of, uh, you know, the, like preschool, elementary. And so and then the Honey Fest every year, you know, that's the whole reason I do like wear the bees on my face is to educate people about bees in general. People, a lot of the people are really afraid of them. And, you know, if you, it, it's one thing to say, oh, they're not really that bad. You know, if you just if you don't mess with them. It's another thing to take 15,000 and put them on your chops and say, see, like, this is what we're talking about. We are big fans of mead and braggots and anything that incorporates, you know, those bartenders, those mixologists that are using honey. Give a shout out to some of those in our local area or maybe somebody that's having you ship it out to them that are using your honeys in the uh, Philadelphia area or nationally. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we've had our honey being used down at Tattooed Moms on South Street. Um, they, they, they mix it up there. Um, we have, uh, 
the Philadelphia Distilling Company. Um, they, they, you know, they use our honey there. They sell, they, you could actually buy it there. Um, and so I'm, uh, I personally own the Braggots. I like to, you know, New Trail is one of my favorite, you know, breweries in the state. And so we, we, we do a lot of mixes with them. And so it's, it's, it's one where it's like, you know, we're always looking for new opportunities. And so if there are people out there interested in, in, in trying it, you know, by all means, get, you know, look us up. We know that there are mead producers, maybe even home mead makers that would love to have an edge to some of the competitions or maybe just make it for themselves and impress themselves or their friends. And this is one of those things where I would say this is something unique that you should seek out that if you're looking for, wow, I've never had that before. Well, you've never had this before. Whether you're back sweetening your mead or this is something you're making it with directly, definitely something you want to try. And to those bartenders around the city, you know, you named a couple of great ones. But if you come up with a cocktail that's going to give this a little bit more of that, um, oh my, what is that flavor? What what is what is being pronounced there? This is something that helps elevate your bar. We just interviewed Chris Tunstall of a bar above, and uh, <laughs> a lot of what they do, I'm sure. You know, Chris would, you know, come up with this very intricate cocktail that uh, I, I'd be curious as to what he would call it. For you, are you, do you make meads? Do you do, you do home brewing? Um, I Honestly, I, I don't. And, I, you know, I, and the main reason is that if I, the last time I took up a hobby, it became a business, you know, an <laughs> obsession. And so if I take up another one, my wife might hand me my papers. Um, you know, it's it, predominantly what I, in, in terms of the drinking, like it's braggots. And, um, I mean, this time of year, it's, it's all about hot toddies. And so, um, you know, although my, my, uh, my wife is not a whiskey drinker. And so we actually do, um, tequila hot toddies for her. And so where we swap out the whiskey for a, for a sipping tequila and then, um, the lemon for a lime. And that, that is actually, it's, that's real good. I'm not really a tequila guy. I love that. Like that drink, that drink is awesome. See, and I'm I'm thinking now that you just went down that road, I'm taking a mezcal because now I can nuance that smokiness of it and take it with the juiciness of the mezcal, and that that would be great too. So I don't know if maybe maybe your wife, eh, but she might want to venture in a mezcal on the next uh, next venture. Who knows? Yeah, I might, I, might, I might see if I can convince her on that one. Like I I don't think I don't think that I don't think she would need much pushing to make that happen. <laughs> Don, this has been awesome. Is there anything we didn't touch upon on the podcast today? Anything you want listeners to know more about you or the Philadelphia Bee Company? Um, I mean, we'll be if if you're looking to buy our honey, um, we do a lot of events in the region, and so you know, over the winter time, it's Christmas Village. Uh, coming up, we actually have the um, the Philly uh, Home and Garden Show out at Oaks, um, and that is the uh, last weekend of February. And then um, the following week, uh, starting March second, the Philadelphia Flower Show will be will be there. And so, if you're looking to pick up some Doom Bloom, you'll you, you'll be able to get it at that event. Well, what I know is people come in from all over the country to go to the Philadelphia Flower Show. It's it's an it's an event unlike anything you've ever seen, and that's a perfect time. But you also will ship if you go to the website. You can ship that to them. Yeah, hundred percent. So if you go to philadelphiabee.com um, and you hit the shop button then we can we can get you some honey delicious tremendous i can't I, i've only had this one now and i can't wait to try the whole line also you have a wonderful social media presence check 
Check uh, Don out on Instagram, Facebook. You'll see some of the extractions that they do. You know, Don's in full beard regalia, and uh, and he's showing that off so you can see what that looks like. Don, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. We look forward to seeing you at the B Show, the all all the 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 B Convention, all the things that you're doing, and um, be safe out there. And uh, just uh, keep making this wonderful sweet nectar, uh, putting the bottles and letting us all enjoy it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. This was awesome. I appreciate you bringing me on. Thank you, sir. And lift that glass. And uh, when when you're doing your next one, uh, think of us at Fermented Adventure. (laughs) Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.